I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 19. And I want to begin by reading my text. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 16 to verse 30, which will end, which will end with, it is finished. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. This is the Word of God. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which is also called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him, two other men, one on each, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to each soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the Scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want you to come back with me 2,000 years to this hill, Golgotha. It is 9 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus has been nailed to the cross. They have lifted up the cross beam, and from 9 o'clock until high noon, Jesus has suffered this horrific 
execution. It was during those three hours he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was during this time that he said, you will be with me in paradise. And it was also during this time that we read these words, son, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. But at 12 noon, as Jesus hung upon the cross, the midday sun became as black as night, and the sins of His people, whom He came to save, were transferred to Him by the invisible hand of God the Father. And Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin for us. And Jesus entered into the judgment on our behalf upon that cross, and God snuffed out the sun, and the world became as black as as midnight. And upon the cross, Jesus stood in our place. He bore our sins. He suffered our punishment. He incurred the Father's wrath in our place. He satisfied divine justice for our iniquities. He endured the punishment of our lawless deeds, and He redeemed us out of the pit. He bought us with His own blood. He reconciled us to the Father. He took our sins far, far away. I believe that it would do each one of us much good tonight for us to revisit the scene at the cross. When I was a teenager, we used to sing a song that said, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? This afternoon, I want us to revisit Mount Calvary. I want us to stand at the foot of the cross. This is the, the, the highest mark of all redemptive history. As the Son of Man, the Son of God, is lifted up upon the cross to die in our place. I want us to walk through this passage. I don't know how long it's been since you have actually revisited Calvary and stood on those blood-stained slopes of Golgotha. But I want God to remind us of this extraordinary scene. Several things that I want you to note from this passage. The first is, I want you to note the condemnation of Christ. That's in verses 16 and 17. And we read beginning in verse 16, so he handed him over to them to be crucified. It was Pilate who has examined Jesus now twice, who buckles under the pressure of the crowd and pronounces the death sentence upon the only man who has ever lived without sin. And we read he, was, he, he handed him over to them. The them refers to the Roman soldiers who will be the execution squad. And to be handed over means he is being handed over into judgment. He's being handed over to be crucified. Uh, Crucifixion was the first century version 
of the electric chair. It was the, the gas chamber, if you will, of ancient times. It was the most horrific death ever designed to put someone to death publicly before others. But in reality, there was a greater hand that was handing Jesus over than merely Pilate to the Romans, because we read elsewhere in the Bible that it was God the Father who was handing Jesus over to be crucified. For Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. Jesus was born to die. Jesus came into this world for this very hour. He prayed in John 17, verse 1, Father, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. The hour has come. And so the hour has now come for the sovereign hands of Almighty God the Father to hand over His own Son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified upon the cross. And we read in verse 17, they took Jesus, therefore, and He went out. He went out unlike any other condemned man has ever gone out. He puts up no resistance. He knows that this is the path that has been marked out for Him from before time began, from before the foundation of the world. He is a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And we read that He went out bearing His own cross. He would carry the heavy horizontal cross beam on His shoulders and he would carry it through the streets of Jerusalem as really a a public statement of submission to the Roman Empire and a public uh, recognition of just his own humiliation. He took it to the place called the place of the skull. The place of the skull was just outside the city limits. It was adjacent to the main highway leading into Jerusalem. It was highly visible, and it was really a place of shame that was reserved for only the, 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 the most notorious criminals of the day. We read it was called in Hebrew Golgotha, which means the place of a skull or a bald head, no doubt because of the many untold numbers of men who have been crucified there at this place. And so when Jesus carried the crossbeam through the city of Jerusalem, it was on what has come to be known as the Via Della Rosa, which was Latin for the sorrowful road or the way of sorrows. He carried his crossbeam from the praetorium, which was the judgment hall where Pilate had pronounced the death sentence upon Jesus, and it wound its way through the streets of Jerusalem about a half a mile until it would reach the city wall. And there, Jesus carried His crossbeam. The people would turn out. They, they lined both sides of the street, and it was intended by the Roman Empire to strike fear into the citizens of Jerusalem, lest anyone else rise up in opposition to our uh, government over the holy city, we want you to see what will happen to anyone who would provoke the peace of the city. As Jesus comes to the city walls, there He begins to buckle under the heavy weight 
And Simon of Cyrene steps in and picks up the crossbeam and helps carry it to the execution site, which is Golgotha. This is our Lord and Savior. This is the heroic Christ. This is the manly Christ. This is the tenacious Christ, full of courage and full of of bravery, ready to do whatever is necessary in order to secure our salvation, ready to pay whatever price would be required to pay the debt for our sins. That's the condemnation of Christ. And you and I will never stand in the condemnation of God because Jesus took our place in our condemnation. That is why Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus stood in the condemnation place for you and me. I want you to note second, the crucifixion of Christ. That's in verse 18. Having arrived now at Golgotha, that that grisly, horrific sight, the crucifixion now takes place. In verse 18, these four simple words, there they crucified him. Four Roman soldiers, professionals at this, who had no doubt perfected this to an art form, there they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ in the most dreaded means of capital punishment that has ever been devised. It, it, It was intended to prolong death. It was intended to take the person up to the very doorsteps of death, but not allow them the relief of death that they would just continue to suffer under the torture and the torment. There they crucified him, and we read, and with him two other men. These other men were there because they were insurrectionists, because they were involved in guerrilla warfare. And because they were notorious terrorists, one of them was named Barabbas, and Jesus now will be crucified in between the two most despicable figures in all of ancient Israel. We read one on either side, and Jesus in between. He, he is surrounded by criminals, which compounds the shame. But even this is in fulfillment of prophecy, for Isaiah 53, 12 says that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Crucifixion was so, was so barbaric that no Roman citizen could be crucified. It, it was too degrading. It was too dishonoring. Uh, crucifixion originated in Persia centuries earlier. And it was passed on to the Phoenicians and then to the Carthaginians, but it was perfected to an art form by the Romans. And it was intentionally a death that prolonged the agony of the condemned man. It was a slow torture chamber, if you will, the most shameful form of execution ever devised. It was scandalous. It was not fit for public discussion in in mixed company. And Jesus would have been made to, to lie on the ground, his arms stretched out, nailed to a horizontal beam. The nails would be driven through his wrists, 
and forearms to attach him to the crossbeam. The crossbeam would then be attached to the upright post, and he would be hoisted up by the four soldiers, his feet now no longer on the ground, his feet nailed to the upright post, and Jesus would now endure this, this, this agony of sagging down and his body being held by the nails and then having to pull himself up, something like a, a, a gymnast would, in order to breathe and then to collapse back down. And all of this caused yet more pain which made it virtually impossible for him eventually to to move his arms that were now fatigued. His muscles would have been cramped. He is now decreasing in his strength to pull himself back up to fill his lungs with air. His pectoral muscles begin to become paralyzed. His intercoastal muscles unable to act. And air would be drawn into his lungs, but he cannot exhale. He will eventually die. He will give his life up, but in the process, he will suffer air hunger. He fights to raise himself up for a short breath. He collapses. Carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs. The bloodstream now is filled with carbon dioxide. And every time he pulls up, the tissue on his back becomes more lacerated and further ripped apart from his, from his skeleton. The par- cardio, uh, pericardio sac around his heart begins to fill with liquid. They would later put a spear through his side, and water would cush- come gushing out. And it is from the sac around the heart, when the heart is under extreme pressure, fluid begins to build around the heart to somewhat muffle the heavy beating of the heart. And Jesus now, his heart is being compressed upon the cross, and it will eventually lead to his death. None of us can even imagine the physical pain that Jesus endured upon the cross. But the greatest agony was not the physical pain, it was the sin of the world the sin of the elect of God being transferred to Jesus upon the cross, and Jesus now suddenly becoming our sin-bearer and suffering under the wrath of God upon Him for our sins. That is the crucifixion of Christ. And if this does not move our heart, then your heart is harder than stone. It is this very act of crucifixion that melts the hearts of believers. Every time we come to the Lord's table and every time we read this passage, I want you to note third, as we continue to walk through this this narrative, I want you to note third, not only the crucifixion and the condemnation of Christ, but notice the inscription above Christ. We read in verse 19, Pilate also wrote, an inscription. He, he had written on a placard, a small board, containing the charge that, would, that was brought against Jesus. This was his crime and had it put on the cross 
for public display. It was written, John records, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. This was intended to insult the Jews who had applied so much pressure upon Pilate. And this is Pilate's now uh, way of getting back at them by posting this, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. This is your King, and He's from Nazareth. Has any good thing come from Nazareth? It is intended to, to belittle and to mock and, and to taunt the Jews that this is the one that you claim is your king? Well, Jesus did claim to be king before Pilate, but the Jews denied it, and they, they, they wanted to, to ridicule Jesus. But in a strange way here, Pilate is having the last word, though not intending for this to be a gospel witness, but God is causing even the, the wrath of man to praise Him. And even what they meant for evil, God means for good. As there is now being broadcast from the top of the cross, this clear declaration of who Jesus is. Verse 20, therefore many of the Jews read the inscription. Large numbers, it is Passover. This crucifixion site is right next to the main highway that is leading into the holy city for this holy time. There are thousands of people who are pouring into Jerusalem, and they begin to read this inscription. We read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. The fact is, it was just outside the city. Jesus was crucified outside the city limits as an expression of utter rejection of, of Him. Uh, those who were the worst of criminals were not even a, allowed to, to die within the city. They, they had to be put to death outside the city in utter disdain of them. This is just like our Puritan forefathers in, in London and in, in many cities in England that they were not even allowed to be buried within the city limits. When you go to London today, for example, you go to Bunhill Fields where where John Bunyan is buried, where John Owen is buried, uh, and many of the Puritans. It's now within the confines of London, but at the time they were buried, that was outside the city because they were utterly rejected by the nation. And that is what is taking place here. In the eyes of those that day, he was unfit to even be crucified inside the city limits. And there's an application here for us, because the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 13, let us go out to Him outside the camp bearing His reproach, that if we are to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we too must go outside the city. He's not referring to geographically. He's talking about this in a metaphorical way that we must be willing to turn our back to the world in order to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And we cannot have Christ in one hand and the world in the other. No, in order to have Christ, we must have burned our bridges behind us 
and have, have left this world system, this evil world system, and go outside the city where Christ was crucified there in order to, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to have them. Now, we are, of, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have left the world, and we have gone out to have Christ outside the city. We continue to read in verse 20, and it was written, referring to the placard above, hang, uh, nailed to the top of the cross, it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, all three languages. Hebrew was the language of the Jewish religion. Latin was the language of Roman politics and power. And Greek was the language of culture and, and commerce. And Pilate had it uh, written in all three languages so that anyone and everyone coming by would have a clear understanding of who it is who is being nailed on this cross and why he is here, because in the eyes of the Jews, it was a sin of blasphemy, for he is claiming to be God, the very Son of God. He is claiming to be the King of the Jews, the Sovereign One. So, verse 21, so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. They protested. They, they pushed back as if to say, he's not our king. But you need to write, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate, verse 22, he's been pushed around long enough. He will not acquiesce to their demands any longer. And Pilate answered, what I have written I have written. Pilate is defiant, he is stubborn, and he is obstinate at this point. And he really stands as an example of everyone who is outside of Christ, who is an unbeliever in the Lord Jesus Christ, obstinate, stubborn, and uncircumcised of heart. Note in verse 23, the confiscation from Christ. The Roman soldiers now treated Jesus like a, like a, like a piece of property. They, they begin to, to, to cast lots for his garments. And we read in, in verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts. This was customary for those who are a part of the execution team to be able to divide up the, the clothing of the one who is being crucified. And by the way, this also tells us that Jesus died naked upon the cross, adding to the shame of, of His death as He is now exposed before His own mother, exposed before uh, the other women who have gathered here. So, they, they took these four garments because there were four soldiers. There was the outer garment, which was like a coat. There was the belt. There was the sandals. There was the head covering. And then we read, apart for every soldier. And also the tunic. So there's a fifth part of Jesus' clothing. And so they 
want to tear it into four pieces so that each soldier will have one-fourth of the, of the tunic, which is like an undergarment of, of sorts. But verse 24 said, so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. And so these soldiers, if you will, are, are all but playing games at the foot of the cross. They are totally indifferent to this one who is hanging upon this cross. They have seen untold numbers of men die upon crosses. Josephus said there were so many people crucified at this time that the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding area, they ran out of trees upon which to, to make crosses. And they've gone down this path. They have seen this so many times that they are heartless. They are callous. They, they have no comprehension that this is the Son of God, the Son of Man hanging upon this cross, the Creator of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so they say to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. Thus, uh, this was to fulfill the Scripture. And John records for us now the Scripture. And by the way, a footnote here. The only gospel writer who stood at the foot of the cross to see this and to hear this was John. Matthew was not there. Mark was not there. Luke was not there. They were all dependent upon secondary sources. There is only one disciple that, that, that hung with the Lord Jesus Christ, that stayed with Him, that followed Him all the way to the foot of the cross. And as John is recording this, he is like a, a newspaper re reporter recording everything that he sees, everything that he hears. He is not dependent upon the witness or the testimony of, of others. And what is also amazing as John is writing this is that it's been some 60 years since he saw this and since he heard this. And it is permanently and indelibly etched in the mind of the Apostle John what he experienced that day as he stood at Golgotha and observed the Son of God being crucified upon that cross. He could never get it out of his mind. And as he now writes some 60 years later after the fact, John is recording this as though he is observing it take place in time, in real time at that very moment. And John is consciously aware now that Jesus is intentionally fulfilling Scripture as He hangs upon the cross. Jesus is meditating upon Scripture. Uh, Jesus knows that He is fulfilling the Word of God that has been recorded in the Old Testament. Even when He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he knows that is Psalm 22 verse 1, and He's drawing great strength from it. He no doubt is meditating upon Psalm 16 and how he knows that he will be resurrected after his death. And here we read that Jesus is fulfilling another passage in Psalm 22. It's verse 18. And here's what's remarkable. It's not Jesus that's fulfilling it. 
It is his enemies that are fulfilling this prophecy. Those who would have the most to lose by the fulfillment of the Word of God. Even they are providing validation for our faith as the Word of God is being fulfilled by the foes of Christ. And so we read this Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so Jesus is consciously aware that Scripture is being fulfilled. Even as He hangs upon the cross, He no doubt is drawing great strength from the fact that He is in the very center of the will of God for His life, that it was for this hour that He came into the world. We read, therefore, the soldiers did these things. This is one of the greatest examples anywhere in the entire Bible, if not the greatest example, of how the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man come together perfectly. Certainly, Jesus is here by the eternal will of God. Peter declared that on the day of Pentecost when when he said that he is here according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2, 23. And yet, God is holding them accountable for their work, for their, for their deeds, and, and charging them with the first-degree murder of the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to see how the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man come together perfectly, look to the cross. Jesus is there because the sovereign will of God has appointed him to this death, and yet all of these who carry out this despicable deed, the greatest sin ever committed in the history of the world, the most heinous sin, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, yet it all comes together to fulfill God's purpose and plan. This leads us now to the last half of verse 25, and I want you to note, fifth, the dedication by Christ. As Jesus hangs upon this cross, He is concerned with the glory of God, and He is also concerned with the care of others. And as He hangs upon this cross, His heart is drawn to His own mother, that His mother would be cared for that his own mother would be under the, the protection of someone who is capable to, to take care of her needs. And so we read beginning in the, verse, in the middle of verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were, and there's four women listed here at the end of verse 25, his mother, that's Mary, his mother's sister, That is the mother of James and John, by the way. Mary, the wife of Clopas, that's the mother of James the Lesser, and Mary Magdalene. She is the woman from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Of course she's there, because Jesus has has set her free from the powers of darkness, and and Jesus has, has made her a new creature in Christ. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Of course she's standing here at the foot of the cross, 
with these other women. Verse 26, when Jesus then saw his mother out of this huge crowd of people, thousands of people passing by on the, on the highway, and this enormous crowd that is gathering around the, the cross that have listed, lifted up their voices and entered into the chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Out of this huge crowd, Jesus saw his mother because his devotion remained strong to his mother. And we read, in the disciple whom he loved, that is John, the, the, the one who has written this gospel. And John is so humbled to be writing this gospel account, he feels unworthy to even pick up pen and write on parchment this account of the gospel of John, and he refuses to even use his own name to be recorded as standing here. So with all humility, he just refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Nothing greater could ever be said about anyone here tonight than that you're a disciple of Christ and you are a disciple whom Jesus has loved. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Well, they're standing at the foot of the cross and they're looking straight up at the Lord. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And Jesus is demonstrating here for us his perfect obedience to the law of God. For it is the fifth commandment that says, You are to honor your father and your mother. And Jesus is giving us an example here that we are to love our parents unto our death. We, we are to care for them in their older years, and we are to provide for them, and we are to, to, to be for them whatever it is that they need. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He is loving His mother, even as He is hanging upon this cross, giving His life unto death. Verse 27, then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He didn't even need to pray about it. It was immediate obedience to the Lord. There is nothing to pray about. Delayed obedience is no obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And John immediately took her in because Jesus said that he was to now stand in his place and be to his mother what he had been to her. I, I wonder even tonight how you need to show love to your mother, how you need to reach out and care for her and to express your love for her, no matter what challenge that might even be for you, given where she may be with the Lord, nevertheless, we are commanded to honor our father and our mother. This brings us now to the last 
heading that I have for you. As we begin verse 28, I want you to see the redemption by Christ. As we come to the final part of this scene of the cross, everything is built up to this final dramatic moment. And in verse 28, we read, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, he, he was in full awareness of who He is and why He is here and what He has come to accomplish. He is in full awareness that all the steps that have led up to this one dramatic moment and all of this is to fulfill the Scripture. He realizes this. He, he understands that His path has been marked out from, from long ago. He said, I am thirsty. This is an expression of the humanity of, of Christ, a man who would have been scourged and bleeding and hanging on a cross and exposed to extreme heat of sun would be desperately dehydrated. And Jesus was a man just like you and me, yet without a sin nature, and he longs for for a drink, verse 29, a jar full of sour wine, that's like cheap vinegar, was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. And, and this too is in fulfillment of Scripture. Psalm 69, verse 21, we read, for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And Jesus, with full awareness that He is on a path of destiny that has been predestined long ages past, comes now to the final climactic, dramatic moment. And in verse 30, we read, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. Please note, He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The work that He has come to do is now complete. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. There, there is nothing that can be added to the finished work of Christ upon the cross. The, the, the work of redemption is now complete. The sacrifice has been made. The Father has been propitiated. The reconciliation has been accomplished. The head of the serpent has been crushed. The debt of sin has been paid. The ransom has been paid. Jesus said, it is finished. There are no good works that can be added to the finished work of Christ upon the cross. In fact, if anyone tries to add any of their own morality or religiosity or own good works to the finished work of Christ, you may not have the finished work of Christ. You may only have it as you come as a beggar with an empty hand. In my hands, no price do I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. It is the finished work of Christ upon the cross. It is the great pronouncement, tetelestai. It means paid in full. 
And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that for all who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of our sins were written on what is referred to as a certificate of debt. And whenever a, a criminal was, was prosecuted and the sentence pronounced upon him, he would be led to his prison cell and the certificate of debt would be posted to that prison cell and it would list all of the crimes that he had committed. And then there was the corresponding punishment for this crime. It'll be 10 years. For this crime, it'll be five years. For this crime, it'll be 20 years. And you will stay in this prison house until all of your punishment has been paid off. That was the certificate of debt. In Colossians 2, Paul says that our certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. And there, when Jesus died upon the cross, He paid in full the certificate of debt containing every sin and every crime that you and I would ever commit, and that He paid it off with the finality of His death upon the cross. There, there is nothing that can be brought to the table. There is nothing that can be added. It is the free gift of God as a result of the death of Christ upon the cross. And then he, we read at the end of verse 30, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. His life was not taken. He gave his life unto death. Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor upon that cross. And in full control of his life unto this point of death, Jesus chose the moment Jesus chose when he would die, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He died not in defeat. He died in triumph. He died in victory, having accomplished the work that he came into this world to accomplish. And so as I close this message, the question for you is, have you ever come to Mount Calvary? Have you ever come to Golgotha? Have you ever come to the foot of the cross? Have you ever looked up and seen the Son of God hanging upon the cross 2,000 years ago? Today, He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and all who call upon His name shall be saved. Every one of us must come to the place in our, in our life when we recognize that we are a wretched sinner and we have no hope of acceptance with God and no hope of heaven except through the blood that was shed upon Calvary's cross when Jesus died in our place. Have you ever repented of your sins? Have you ever come to Christ by faith and entrusted all that you are to all that He is. There is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. It is this Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
I call you this moment to leave the world behind, to turn your back on your own self-righteousness, and to turn your back on all of your own efforts to save yourself, to turn to Christ and to surrender your life to Christ, to submit to His Lordship and entrust your soul to Jesus Christ, who alone is the Savior of the world. If you have never done that, tonight I urge you to take that step of faith and to believe upon Jesus Christ. And one day when you die, He will take you to the Father and there bring you into His very presence. Let us close in a word of prayer. Father, thank You for this vivid description of the death of Jesus Christ that John has recorded for us. And Lord, we think of the extreme sacrifice that was needed to be made by Jesus on our behalf. Lord Jesus, thank You for being so willing. We praise You and adore You for your humble obedience unto death, even death upon a cross. And we know as a result of this, therefore, God has highly exalted you and given you a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, thank you for the power of the cross to forgive sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.